Thanks, Bob. Um, uh, wonderful to be here. I wonder if you could do this for me. Could you think of somebody you know, a friend, um, maybe a member of your family, maybe someone you work with, maybe a neighbor, who you are utterly convinced that if they knew the love that God has for them, if they knew what Jesus has done for them, it would really change their lives. Can you just bring to mind uh, at least one person who you, you think, oh, if they, if they became a Christian, it would change so much for them. So then, what is the connection between what we do in places like this when we gather on a Sunday or what we do during the week uh, to keep ourselves spiritual alive? Let's call that worship. What's the link between that and people coming to faith? That's Psalm 115. If you've got a Bible, if you've got it on your phone, I think it's going to come up. Our text today is Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and your faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever pleases him. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak. They have eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. They have noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but cannot walk. They cannot utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Our people of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Our house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. All ye who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the people of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless all those who fear the Lord, both small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heaven belongs to the Lord. The earth he has given to human beings. It is not the dead who will praise the Lord, not those who've gone down into silence, but we, we who will extol the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, you, you are everything. And you call out of our lives by your spirit uh, our praise and our worship and our, our sacrifice to you. And it's nothing for us to give that. It, it's simply what you deserve. But we pray now that you would send your spirit to us that we may once again be stirred and encouraged and challenged and empowered to live lives that witness for you and your great love.
as those who worship the true and living God. Amen. Um, I wonder if you could get your phone out, please. It might be an unusual thing. You might have your phone out already and be uh, on Wordle. Uh, you might be doing other things. Um, the church that Belinda and I were part of in Reading, working lots with young people, we used to collect the phones in at the beginning of the service. So this is quite an unusual thing. Right, thank you very much. You're clapping that phones were collected in. You yourself do that. You would if someone asked you, yeah. Um, so, um, so on our phones, right, our phones are great. Uh, and obviously, like if you leave it at home or forget it or break it or... Um, uh, it falls down the loo. It's like being without a hand. But, but I think what phones have done to, to us and the way we live our lives it is a bit instrumental of what we do to worship. I think that I've got on my phone, I've got certain apps and certain things that I use personally to help me c- to connect to God, like Spotify playlists, various kind of forms of prayer and those other kind of things. And those are really helpful But the trouble of what it does, this kind of system on which we have apps running uh, and different kind of things that we use for different kind of times for our days or the things that we do and the things that really interest us and the things that we're committed to, is it splits our life out. And it means that we can have an app for something and keep it as a sideline. I think that worship isn't an app of our lives. It isn't a sideline. It isn't an added on. It isn't a bolt on. I think it's the running system. I think it's the system our lives run on. It's not a part of it. It is the thing itself, how the thing runs. Now, the news from Scripture, uh, this is why we're looking at Psalm 115 today, is that even though we might think we're in a minority, like wanting to orientate all of our lives around God, wanting God to be our operating system, we're not in a minority of being worshippers. The Old Testament especially is really keen on this idea that we get, is that everybody is a worshipper. Now, I know in our secular culture... There's lots of people who almost pride themselves in our Western culture and in this country on, like, on not being religious. I've got loads of people who will meet me and immediately tell me they're not, they're not religious. They'll often say they're spiritual, but they'll say they're not religious, and they pride themselves on that. However, I think one of the things that we get from the Psalms uh, and from the rest of Scripture is that actually, whether you think you're religious or not, everyone's a worshipper. G.K. Chesterton, an author who was a Christian about 120 years ago, said this. He said, when people don't worship God, they don't worship nothing, they'll worship anything. And so I think when we come and look at this whole subject of worship and evangelism, I want to put a heavy stake in the ground saying, not only is worship everything we do, almost if you like, um, has anyone seen the cathedrals around the place that have got a huge kind of globe of the earth in the middle of them or the moon have you seen those pictures martin has brilliant thanks martin but in, in like imagine if our worship was actually it wasn't something that looked like we did it was like okay it happens over there in that direction what happens if there was it, we were just centered around this thing almost we were orbiting god we were orientating everything around god And what the Old Testament says especially is that everybody orientates their lives around some things. And if that's not God, that's called an idol. 
This is what Psalm 115 goes on about idols so much. Now, I have to get my head out of gear because I kind of think idol are a little kind of figure in the corner of a room with a joystick burning behind it. That, that isn't what is talked about here in terms of idols. But these idols are things that people orientate the whole of their lives around. So it's my contention, as we think about worship, is that everybody's a worshipper and that everybody has at least one, two, three, four, five idols around which they orientate everything. So what are some of these idols? I'm going to ask you to shout them out for me in a minute. But someone once said this was really helpful for me, is you can always tell someone's idols because idols always demand sacrifice. So where you see that someone sacrifices something, uh, which feels like, it's a, like a, that's a lot to give that thing, then you know what their idols are. Right, has anyone got any ideas? What kind of, if we're talking about idols, what we might we be talking about in 2022? Don't go quiet on me. What? Work. Why is work an idol? Yeah, people sacrifice for it. It might be that people want reputation. It might be that they want the money that goes with it. It might be they want the prestige that goes with it. But great, yeah, work becomes an idol. Now, what we find with idols, like with work, it's not that that's wrong. It's not that work is wrong, and this is like the, the product of this sermon is everyone like not to have to work any longer. Of course not. But what idolatry is, is idolatry is say, taking something that God has made good and making it God, putting it at the center of everything. And we'll see in a moment that that wrecks everything. Okay, so work. Uh, any other idols? Social media. Great. So uh, we, we know the truth of that. Now, what, what do people sacrifice for social media? Themselves. The, the trouble with, obviously, sacrifice and idolatry is that, ultimately, idolatry demands human sacrifice. We know from like, I mean, of course, things are really complicated and very, like, it, it, it deserves being really considered. But, you know, the link between mental health and social media, like, all this stuff, like, putting something at the center of your life, how, how many followers is enough? How many likes is enough? Okay, what else? Eating. Beauty. Beauty. Yeah, okay. What do people sacrifice for beauty? How, how you look, whether you could, like, um, am I okay to go out? Like, then let's get into cosmetics, let's get into all that industry, let's get into surgery, all those kind of things. Okay. So do you get the idea? Like, we could explore this for ages, but, but the leaders of the church are a little nervous on the front row here. <laughs> but do you see that we could explore this for ages? And I think this is worth an explore of, like, what are the idols of the age? And these are just the ones in society. Think about the world. Think about force and power and violence. Think about domination. Think about what is sacrificed on the altar of those gods and those idols. So idolatry, this psalm, I reckon, says, listen, everybody's got idols. Everybody's a worshiper, and everyone is going to orientate their lives around something, probably some things. And those things aren't things that are necessarily bad, as I've said. Those things were made good, but they aren't there to take the place of God. And when they do take the place of God, it wreaks havoc 
in individual lives and in society. You see, the problem isn't just that it isn't true. That is a problem. But the problem is that it's an exercise in futility. So I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine who had, an acquaintance probably, who had given up a, a, a stable married relationship with, with children for the sake of this kind of, uh, someone he met in a foreign country who he didn't even know. I'm like, why, why would you do that for that? And he was convinced that that was going to give him more pleasure. Live for the idol of pleasure and it'll demand sacrifices. But all idolatry is an exercise in futility because these things can't deliver. They're not real. They haven't got the power to do this. And so actually, these things, making these idols, they can't take the weight of what is given to them, whether it's work or whether it's beauty or whether it's social media. It can't take the weight of it. These are created things. And the real problem is in verse 8. Those who make them will be like them, and all who put their trust in them. You become like what you worship. And so, if you worship something that isn't real, if you worship something that isn't true, if you worship something that was, is a created thing rather than a creator, you become like that thing. And as the psalm says from verse 4 onwards, they have mouths but can't speak. They have eyes but can't see. They have ears but can't hear, noses. They have feet but can't walk. So if you worship something that isn't able to speak or walk or talk, then you become less human. And I think we see that in our society and around the world. I think we see the fact that when idolatry is given its place, it destroys humanity. You see, this isn't what we're asking people to do in terms of becoming Christians. It's not just a kind of, hey, I think you, your life might become a bit more peaceful if you tried this app out for five minutes a day. It's not unlike, oh, oh, you know, I know that you've got these things, but I wonder if you could like slot God in on this side as a bit of a bolt-on. This is a complete orientation of your life. So to become a Christian is, if you like, to switch sides. To switch sides, to, to say, I'm not going to be an idolater any longer, I'm going to follow the true and living God. Now, I'm aware that this isn't general kind of conversation around evangelism. Denounce your idols and switch allegiance. But I think it's been something that Christians have done all the way around. So Glastonbury. Why is Glastonbury where people kind of get, uh, get so kind of, look, it's a mystical place, it's a pagan place. And, uh, but what did the Christians do when they first arrived in this country? Where did they build the church? Build it at Glastonbury. Not because that was like the holy place, but let's worship the true God where false gods are being worshipped. What's Christmas? Oh, we'll have that, thanks very much. You know, we'll have that for Jesus. And, and so Christians have always done this, um, have always said, okay, we'll worship God in the place where false gods are being worshipped. But it isn't just easy, is it? It's not just easy. It's easy for me to say being a Christian is about switching allegiances and, and moving from idolatry into worshipping the true God. But it is so tough. I wonder, I heard somebody the other day who said they wondered whether 
One of the greatest gifts to 20th century Christianity, Christian spirituality, was Alcoholics Anonymous from 1935, Bill Marsh. Because of the absolute leaning in, do you remember the first step of the 12-step process? We admit we are powerless over alcohol. Our lives have become unimaginable. We have come to believe, step two, that only a power greater than us can restore us. We are powerless in front of the idols. We're powerless in front of them. We can't just do this. But here is the good news. God hasn't left us. God hasn't left us in the thrall of these idols. Such is his great love for us. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to you be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Such is his love and faithfulness that he came for us. And he is our help and shield. He came to us. And so Jesus came. He was the one who has only lived a life orientated around God. Completely freely. He didn't bow the knee to any idols. He lived freely and truly everything for God. He was the worshipper. And yet, unmasking these idols, the idols of religion, because of course that can become a god. The idols of uh, who's in and who's out, of money and of power and of influence. Jesus took these on, and so therefore he was on a collision course with idolatry. And what happened? He gets sacrificed. But he sacrifices himself willingly. The father of lies, the evil one, who is behind all idolatry, wants to destroy everything good. Wants to control and wreck things. Wants to make us less than humans. To have mouths but not really know how to speak. Have, have ears but not really know how to hear. And eyes but not really know how to see. And what we were incapable of doing, breaking the power of idolatry in the world and in our lives, Jesus does for us by taking everything that idolatry takes from him his life, giving it up freely and defeating it by allowing it to do its worst to him. The idols, the false gods which hold the world, which hold us in such power, that power has been defeated and destroyed in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection. This is why evangelism, whatever you think of the word, this is why people knowing about what God has done for them in Christ isn't just nice. It's absolutely essential because otherwise people live oblivious to what God's done and just live in the thrall of these idols which destroy life. Because what does God do? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. What pleases him? To save lives. To redeem to bring new things out of what seemed to be chaos. To bring to life the dead. To welcome rebels home. So if you like, my take on evangelism is that this is, this is a message which is like a fire. You've got to do something about it. I know we kind of get used to it. I was walking through a station the other day and the fire alarm was going off and everyone's just like, oh, it's a bit annoying. 
and we all just kept walking. But really, if there's a fire, you're supposed to do something. Or if someone whispers, will you marry me? You do something. And this is the invitation of Christ. I've laid my down my life for you to redeem you, to cause you to be who you are made to be. Because if people worshipping false idols make them less than human, what happens when you worship the true and the living God in whose image you were made? Oh, you become the person you were made to be. So then, what of worship? That's all big picture. That's all kind of James Webb kind of telescope stuff. That's like, oh, goodness, that's a long way away. But what then of worship? There are just three things I just want to draw out for what it might mean about some of our choices when we gather together or when we take time ourselves to draw close to God. Worship is about witness, I think. I think in worship what happens is we encounter God whether it's in praise or it's in listening to his word or around the table, I think we encounter God together and as individuals. And so therefore I think that worship resets us and it renews us and it refreshes us. And we need that because we are riddled with these idols as well. A a guy 500 years ago called John Calvin, who was particularly strict, you might say, but said that my heart is a factory of idols and my heart is a factory of idols. And so what happens in worship is often I get reset. And and so I think there's an encounter for us in worship which keeps us alive. Now, evangelism. My take is that I don't think everybody, everyone who's a Christian is called to be an evangelist. I think that's a gift given by God to some. It's a gift of the Spirit given to some, and I think those people need to be seen and released and equipped and given everything the church can give them. I think every church should be doing evangelism, but I don't think every Christian's an evangelist. I'm not going to tell you that you've got to, when you know in in NASDA tomorrow at the checkout, you've got to somehow yank the car into a really difficult gear and have a conversation with somebody you've never met. But I think every Christian is a witness. All of us are a witness. And a witness, what a witness does is a witness says what they have seen, says what they've experienced. It's just all personal. And this is why I think worship is so important for us. Because in worship, that's where we witness God at work. And and the trouble is, if all I'm witnessing to is something that happened seven years ago to me, It's not really very fresh. Or if I'm just telling somebody else's story. And that's not what we need to do. I think we just need to say, this is what I've witnessed. I'm a witness of, this is what I've witnessed of God. And I think worship is essential for that. And that, I think, means being present. Um, When Belinda and I moved to Reading, we were invited around by some people for, um, um, like, a barbecue. And... um, as usual, uh, males, females separated out. There must be a sociological study on that, surely. Like, what's going on there? Anyway, males, females separated out. So I dutifully stood with the males around the barbecue. 
And um, Belinda was sat behind me. We were both quite new there, so I put my hand on her, sh on her shoulder. It was just an instinctive thing. I just, like, rubbed her shoulder, like, you know, just, I'm here, I'm here. After five minutes, uh, the hostess, Becca, asked me what I was doing to her shoulder. Um, and I didn't have a good answer. But what I was doing was I was doing this instinctive thing, but I wasn't really... I mean, I was doing it to Belinda, but I wasn't really connecting. And I wonder how much my worship's like that. That, that I'm, I just kind of, oh, yeah, this is what happens now. Uh, Rowan Williams, the previous Archbishop of Canterbury, said this. He said that in, in prayer, the greatest problem for me isn't the absence of God, but it's the absence of me. And so for me, in worship and prayer, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm here. And I'm here to receive what I need to receive that I might be a witness to Jesus. So as he encounters me, as he blesses me, again, Psalm 115, bless and bless and bless. He blesses us so we might bless other people. So I think the first thing then is that just that we, um, we show up. And we show up intentionally and purposefully. Uh, expecting God to meet us and to, to speak to us. The, the, the second thing I wonder is, Psalm 115 is clear that this is something for everybody, that all the world is called to worship God. And so when we worship, who's not here? Your friends, think about those people that you thought right at the beginning. Do you ever think when we worship, when we, particularly for me, it's when we meet around the communion table, it's like, who's not here? Leo, my friend Leo's still not here. Vic and Nathan still aren't here. And, and there must be something about our worship. It's like it's only really going to be complete when we're all here. And that's a really simple one in terms of what worship and evangelism does. It causes me to want to go, oh, who, who's not here? And then thirdly, how might they get here? Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to you be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Worship is all about God, and I think this really encourages us around evangelism. Evangelism is God's work. Pe people switching allegiance, denying idols, coming to worship the true and living God, seeing what Jesus Christ has done to them, saying, yes, I will marry you, saying, okay, I, I, I want to be safe. I, wa I want what you've got for me. The, that work of change in a heart and a soul is God's work. Only God can open eyes. Only God can open hands and ears. That's God's work. And what we do in worship, we give it all to God. We acknowledge everything is the Lord's. And we pray that he might work. That he might work even in us, the worshippers, and use our lives to bring blessing to other people, that other people may come and worship the true and living God so they can be the people that God made them to be. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray a really bold prayer with me. That is a prayer that you would be given opportunities by God this week to witness to him. Now, in my experience, there are loads of prayers I'm mystified why God hasn't quite answered them the way I'd like them to be answered. This prayer always gets an answer. 
usually what happens during the week is like something will come up and it'll have flashing lights on it. It'll go, this is it, this is it, this is it, this is it, don't miss it. That might just be me. But just be aware and take heart as you pray this prayer that God will answer this and you will have opportunities this week to witness to who God is for you and what he has done and his love and his faithfulness in your life. So I wonder if we could pray together.